welcome to your Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Paula Andres. I'm Julia Dahm. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from your Active's Agri-Food team. This week, the struggle for farmers' votes and an interview with a committee chair. Well, hello, welcome back to the Active Agri-Food Podcast. I'm here with Paula. Hello. It's all, uh, it's all girls this week. We have Tash joining later on, but for now it's uh, the two of us. Mm-hmm. Once again, I was asking Julia before, which song are we going to sing this time? But we didn't come up any idea with any idea. So. Shoot us a message on Twitter with your recommendations of which song to sing next. Especially this week that is uh, Eurovision. <gasps> True. Maybe we should have picked one from Eurovision. Hmm. Next week we're going to sing the Eurovision. The winner. Yes. <laughs> mm, we'll try. We'll try our best. Okay, well, it's been a, quite a, an exciting week, I'd say, for, for agri-food uh, policy since it's been at the center of uh, the budding election campaign ahead of the EU elections next year. And I think we can see um, the heat picking up a bit ahead of the elections. You can really tell that they're around the corner. And um, we've... Yeah, I think we've seen a bit of a struggle for farmers' votes, for rural votes um, developing, which was launched uh, already last week, at the end of last week, by the EPP, the European Centre-Right, um, at its party congress in Munich, uh, where they signed a resolution, um, which has been much discussed uh, since then. You can check out more about it in last week's um actually the week before last already, um, Agri-Food Brief, the EPP voted on a resolution that basically positioned them as the Farmers' Party. It pushes back on a lot of the files that are in the Green Deal. They use um, sustainability flagship policy. Um, so that includes, for example, the um, pesticides regulation, as well the nature restoration law, which is about uh, restoring natural habitats. And... Um, Yeah, the EPP basically rejected all these files. They're saying farmers should focus on production. We should support them in just producing food. We should prioritize food security over these environmental and climate files. So, yeah, as you can imagine, that's been met with a lot of contention. Um, and the fight has been going down the uh, last week, over the past week. Um, on, one way, on one hand, we had the EPP who's kind of, I'd say, doubled down on, on their stance. There was a debate in the European Parliament. Even the title was contentious, wasn't it? Like the debate hadn't even started and there was already a fight. <laughs> yes. So in the end, this debate was titled The Role of Farmers as Enablers of the Green Transition, which is a bit more, yeah, a bit um, dimmed down, I'd say, from what the EPP wanted which was uh, listening to and respecting farmers. So that was uh, quite a clear message that the party wants to present itself as the advocates of farmers. At the same time, also, uh, interestingly, uh, Agri-Committee Chair Norbert Linz, who is from the EPP, uh, he's a German MEP, traveled to Berlin, and there he joined a press conference by the Farmers' Union, a German Farmers' Union, um, which was about pushing back on the SUR, so the Pesticides Regulation, The German Farmers Union presented a study that uh, shows the impact of the uh, pesticide reduction proposed by the Commission on on production. And in, just in general, they were pushing back against this um, planned pesticides reduction and the whole legislation. And uh, Norbert Linz joined this and also joined in on this message during the press conference. So 
all week, I'd say the EPP has been um, following up on its resolution and has been hammering the message down. And on the other hand, you've had quite a lot of pushback from other party groups, the Greens, uh, as you'd expect, um, the Socialists, but also the Liberals from Renew. And we're going to hear a bit more about that uh, in a little bit from from Natasha. Um, so, yeah, I think there's basically been quite a broad front of pushback also, of course, from NGOs and other civil society groups. So uh, there's really this, these two fronts that are starting to build. And at the same time, it's not the first example we've had in, in the past few weeks and months of agriculture and food getting politicized ahead of elections. Uh, is, is it, Paula? Yeah, I think... We already talked about Doniana, but, um, well, since I was there <laughs> last week, um, I think Doniana is a very good example of how this discourse um, that they are giving in Brussels is playing out at a national level. Well, at a regional level, I would say, because this is something that the regional government of Andalusia is pushing for and that the Spanish government is against. But yeah, we've we've all heard about what's going on in Doñana. And, and so when I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to speak to some uh, producers, especially strawberry producers, right? Because these are the ones that are pumping, that need a lot of water and are pumping this water from uh, an aquifer that is the one that at eventually arrives to the National Park of Doñana and, and feeds the wetlands that are the basically the, the epicenter of biodiversity in the National Park are these wetlands. Um, so I spoke to some of these producers um, and they they had an interesting interesting and diverging views, I would say. Uh, on one hand, I spoke to the ones who are let's say, legalized or they have legal uh, irrigation systems, uh, which have been working for decades. Um, And these ones think that if the Spanish EPP, uh, together with Vox, which is the far right, uh, if they pass this law to to legalize other, uh, other irrigation systems that's already exist, but but in a irregular way, um, this would uh, leave them with, with less water and this would be kind of an amnesty, let's say, uh, for the other ones using water illegally for all these years. Um, so that's how they put it. Uh, they also used, a, a, I think, a, a comparison that was visually maybe um, uh, very understandable, which was with the driving license. Um, and they told me something about if um, if uh, someone has been driving for years, uh, not following the rules and without a license, um, and then you give them a license, but the pe- you are putting in danger, let's say, the people who, who have had a license for many years and are respecting the rules. Um, so this is what they told me. Um, but then I also spoke to, to the other side of producers. There are the ones that are going to be uh, regularized with this law. And obviously they're in favor of this regularization and they, they say that this is needed for, their, for the continuation of their business um, to finally be uh, regularized and to, and to, yeah, for all the administration uh, burden. And also because, uh, yeah, they also have been there for many years uh, using the same water. So, so, well, this was an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, point of view, which uh, you will see later in a video that is going to come out (laughs) soon. (laughs) 
Yeah, to check that out. Most important question, did you try some strawberries? I did try the strawberries. I went, when I visited the, the first ones, they gave me strawberries. And I have to say, they were very big and very tasty. And then I went for lunch to uh, El Rocío. Oh my God, El Rocío is this beautiful, beautiful village uh, that is next to Doñana, just in the border. And all the streets are sand and like, uh, uh, it's like a very old uh, town. And, and we were eating in this restaurant there and they also had strawberries. So yes, I ate a lot of strawberries actually. Very nice. Some touristy uh, recommendations here on the podcast as well. Well, all of this to say that, uh, yeah, that basically uh, that is how the... In, in times, in these times of extreme drought, and when we are seeing that the levels of water reservoirs in Spain are below any other level that were before, um, and the EPP is deciding to push for this regulation now, at this very moment. Mm, another example of, of the kind of struggle that we're seeing. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, and also I, I hinted earlier that... Um, The, even the liberal faction, Renew, has um, joined this pushback against the EPP's advance, um, which to me wasn't um, wasn't obvious. I, I could have gone either way because I mean they're also known as champions of businesses and um, yeah, protectors of businesses kind of. So I could have seen them go either way, um, but they've been quite clear in pushing back on the EPP's narrative uh, and saying we need nature and climate protection also in order to safeguard food production. Um, and uh, actually, we will hear a bit more about that now from uh, our colleague Natasha, who interviewed the um, committee chair of the Environment Committee in the European Parliament, Pascal Confa, who is uh, from the Renew Group. So let's hear from them. So I suppose my first question is quite general. Um, it's really just what your initial reaction was to this and, you know, what knock-on impacts you're concerned about from this declaration. Well, I think this uh, declaration is irresponsible from the EPP uh, because, I mean, we are moving uh, the Green Deal in all the uh, sectors of the economy, uh, mobility, industry, energy. Uh, there is no reason... Uh, not to do it uh, for agriculture. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, uh, uh, we are always uh, uh, open uh, to uh, discussions and negotiations regarding the parameters, uh, as we have always been, and it's the role of the uh, European democracy to do so, so discuss about the rhythm, the parameters, the scope, everything, but not to have a principal approach which is uh, against the full text, uh, because this is, again, uh, totally you know, irresponsible at a time where uh, climate uh, impact is growing everywhere in Europe, and the first victims of the climate shock are the farmers. So we need to deal with this issue. We need to have nature-based solution. We need to restore the quality of soil. We need to restore... Uh, uh, wetlands to uh, store uh, water and so on and so on and so on. We need to do so in the context of a climate shock. So the the entry uh, in which I think we could work with the EPP and the farming community is precisely 
to f- to to work on the climate resilience. Mm. And that's why I've been pushing for and pleading, sorry, and for months now for a package approach, not only on nature restoration law, but saying, okay, nature restoration law is focusing on nature-based solution, which is the core of uh, nature nature restoration. Mm -hmm. It's nature-based solution. But of course, uh, aside of nature-based solutions, there are technological solutions like NBTs. And we need both. We need nature-based solutions. We need technological solutions. And at the end of the day, it's not either or, it's the two. Mm-hmm. And the only way to move forward is precisely to package the two as the two legs of uh, uh, the, the Green Deal moving forward on the uh, on providing new solutions for farmers. So on that note, I mean, of course, the, the issue is always the, the farmers kind of pitted against the environment and, you know, the Green Deal. I mean, so that's how you see, how do you see to win farmers back on board um, without sacrificing the goals of the Green Deal, but also without ostracizing farmers? Well, nobody's ostracizing farmers. I mean, they are the first victim of drought. They are the first victims of uh, lower yield because of climate change. I mean, the, today, already today, the main threats on yields for uh, corn, for uh, wheat and so on, is climate impact. So it's already there. So doing as if the status quo would be a way forward for farmers, it is just a nonsense in a situation that has changed. But at the same time, and that's the balanced approach, at the same time, we need to focus on solutions. Mm-hmm. What are the solutions we provide to farmers in order to adapt to this new situation? And what the EPP is doing is just killing the whole pack, trying to kill the whole package, pretending that's the best way to protect farmers. I consider that the best way to work with farmers and to protect farmers from the climate shock, which is already happening, just look at Spain, look at Italy, look at South of France and so on, so on mm-hmm. uh, is uh, precisely to provide them with more solutions in order to be more resilient to climate shock. And part, part, part of the solution is related to the restoration of nature. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, if a soil is in a good quality, then it's, it has a better resilience to droughts. If you have uh, a wetland in a good shape in order to store uh, water, you have uh, less uh, drought later on, and so on, and so on, and so on. This is the nature-based part. Of -hmm. course, EPP does not like it. What they want is only technological solution, like NBTs. And the Greens is the opposite. The Greens do not like the technological solution. They want the nature-based solution. At the end of the day, the only way forward is to have both. And precisely, it means having a package approach. Because at the end of the day, what the EPP is doing, it is already putting at risk the part of the package they want. Because I know that the Commission and Timmermans will be, of course, much more reluctant to go for NBTs if the EPP is trying to kill the whole package. So if the EPP wants NBTs, and they do want it, and the farmers want them, 
it has to be part of a broader package. If the EPP kills the first text of the package and wants to kill the second one with pesticides, there will be no deal anymore. Mm -hmm. And and if I were Timmermans, I would not put my proposal for NBTs on the table in June in that context. So you think it should be withheld, basically? If the EPP continues this uh, crusade against the Green Deal, there is no reason to have NBTs. Again, why the NBTs are a solution? Because there is a problem. <laughs> if there is no problem, there is no solution, okay? If there is a problem, what is the problem? The problem is we need to reduce pesticides. We need to uh, adapt uh, our uh, uh, production mode to uh, a climate-changing uh, world. So if you have a problem of that nature, then part of the solution is NBT. And NBT will help to reduce dependency to pesticides, will help to uh, be more resilient to uh, water shock and so on, which is true. But if you do not accept that there are such a thing that reduction of pesticides objective, then there is no reason to have NBT to do so. So it, 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 the, the, two are, the two are deeply connected. Again, if I were uh, Timmermans, if the EPP wins its battle against the Green Deal and the reduction of pesticides and the uh, nature-based solution for climate adaptation, uh, well, let's, let's uh, uh, redraw uh, NBTs. Right. Like, do away with all of it because it has to come together. And so do you see here that, I mean, this is, there's been a failure here of the commission, do you think, in terms of its communication in general over the Green Deal policies, its handling of, of these? So yes, yes, on two fronts. The, 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 the commission failed first to uh, have a, f a framing on oriented to solutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, for instance, on pesticides, what we are after is replacing pesticides, not decreasing pesticides, but replacing pesticides. And of course, once you replace them, you decrease them. But the objective is to replace them. And if you replace them, it means that you have alternatives. And once you have alternatives, so that could be biocontrol, that could be a, a crop rotation, uh, that could be NBTs, you know, you have a basket of solutions. Then you replace and then you decrease. But it has to be taken in that order. The commission started with the objective of decrease without putting enough stress on the solutions. Second, it's a package approach, which is not on the table yet and which should have been on the table from the very beginning. And they failed to deliver on this. They, they did it on the climate aspect with the Fit for 55. What they should have designed is a fit for climate resilience package for agriculture. So climate resilience, again, mean uh, nature, and I'm not going to repeat myself, but uh, climate's uh, nature-based solutions plus uh, uh, technology and so on. And then you have the package. Mm -hmm. And you have the purpose and you have the basket of solutions. And then some, some elements of the package will not be liked by the Greens. Other elements will not be liked by EPPs. But at the end, you have a package and it, you go through the package, exactly as for Fit for 55, where part of uh, uh, the countries didn't like part of the element of the package. And at the end of the day, everything was intertwined. 
So they failed to deliver on this, and we are now in a situation where they tried to rebuild this package. And it's a bit far, it's a bit late, sorry, it's a bit late. I hope it's not too late. Uh, and uh, of course, I'm uh, uh, here to help precisely uh, designing this package approach, which at the end of the day is the only way to move forward. Talking about this package approach, looking to the future of, you know, decisions in the next European Parliament, etc. I mean, this overcoming this environment agri barrier, this is a constant issue that we're constantly talking about and how you can communicate this, these issues effectively, um, you know, talks between agri and envy, etc. I mean, this is a constant gap. I mean, this is a constant thing that we're constantly reporting on. Um, this is a bit of a big question, but I mean, how can we bridge this gap looking in the future? It's a very good question. What I see is that for industry, we managed to have a uh, shared roadmap. Hmm. Then we discussed the parameters, but the roadmap is clear for the industry to go for zero carbon. Uh, same for mobility. We have this issue on e-fuels for cars, but when you look at the concrete industrial impact, it's very limited. Mm. Very limited. I mean, it's only Porsche and Ferrari. <laughs> so mm. it's, it's close to zero. Yeah. And for the rest, it's moving forward. I mean, all the truck makers, all the car makers are investing heavily in the same direction. We have it for energy. We have, we have managed to find a middle ground on energy even if nuclear remains controversial, but text after text, we managed to find the solutions. Mm -hmm. We found the solution in taxonomy, we found the solution in renewable directives, we found the solution in market design, we found solutions. The only, the only sector where we haven't managed to find this common pathway, and again, it, then there is still, there are still negotiations, of course, on the parameters, but not on the principle, is uh, agree. And I've been trying from the very beginning to build this, because I consider that the prerequisite to move forward with stability is precisely to have this common understanding of what should be done. And then you just discuss the reason, the technical parameters and so on, but you have a common understanding of what should be done. We are not there yet. Mm. And that's the core of the problem. That's the core of the problem. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was brought to you by your Active's AgriFood team. That is Natasha Foot, Julia Dam, and Paula Andres. This podcast can also be found on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Julia Dam. Thanks for listening and see you next week.